everyone. This is Haley Kelleton from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Phil Loeb from AEI Technologies and Danny Rutar, Managing Director of Redback Biotech. During this conversation, Danny and Phil offer insights on the key issues affecting the accuracy and reproducibility of measuring oxygen consumption through indirect calorimetry using metabolic carts. They will also share some best practices for scientists to drive more consistent and precise measurements. Let's get started. Does a general consensus exist regarding limits of precision of VO2 measurements? If yes, what is it? There's no standard requirement for VO2 accuracy. However, might consider a point of reference that the best metabolic simulators have an accuracy of about 2%. Therefore, the best accuracy you, you can validate O2 is under ideal circumstances is to 2%. And more practically, VO2 can be validated with these simulators to an accuracy of about 4%, probably at best. Okay, great. Danny, did you have anything to add to that? No, I would I'd simply say that when we're looking at athletes, I think we need to talk in very high precisions. If we're talking about the general population, have a little bit more tolerance. If we are looking at, say, a 12-week regime of some strength and conditioning or aerobic training or something like that from a general population, we can be much more forgiving with our tolerances. However, if we're looking at athletes or if we're looking at research that needs that level of precision, then the short answer is that it'll have to be much more precise down to the very small percentages. Okay, great. Is there a calibration that has to be done between participants? This is in the case that you're studying using multiple individuals or participants. When you do multiple tests in a row for publication and the best results, we recommend calibrating flow O2 and CO2 before every test. For the MOXA system, you can still achieve the best results by performing these calibrations about once every hour. Okay. And that's, I think, about the what we, we could recommend. I think most of the other manufacturers' metabolic carts would be similar. Okay, great. And then while we're on the topic of calibration, how is the flow calibration performed? Well, most metabolic carts utilize a calibration syringe and that delivers a very precisely known volume for calibrating flow. A calibration syringe is typically uh, a volume of three liters, which would be used for calibrating flow for exercise testing. And they have other size syringes available for different applications. Okay. Um, this question came up in various ways throughout the registration, and it comes from mouthpiece versus mask. So what are your recommendations or what is your opinion? Is there a large enough discrepancy in results to value one over the other? There is, I guess, historically, we've recommended using a mouthpiece and a mat and a nose clip over a mask to minimize the leaking because simply the, the masks weren't very good and they tend to produce leaks around the mask for a lot of subjects. However, there's some new new masks that are available that, that are much better. So I'm pretty much equal on whether or not we want to use a mask or mouthpiece and have to look at the, each individual application to see which would be more appropriate. 
Okay, Danny, did you have anything to add? Well, all I would say is that, first of all, I'd reiterate what Phil said there about the new masks. I have noted that they have improved quite significantly and I wouldn't have anywhere near the same issues as I would have had with regards to that technology. Also, I would say that for some people, the mouthpiece does actually create a pretty bad gag reflex. So in, in those situations, it's almost impossible to use a mouthpiece. And so I think some researchers and, and clinicians have decided that a mask is really the way to go. The other issue about masks, of course, is they create a, a small microenvironment around the mouth and nose. And it's not really understood if that influences results at all, but, but it does happen. And so it's something that needs to be taken into account. Okay, great. Are the errors that you've discussed in general random? This question's come in from Salvik. Um, and if so, then it can be a good idea to increase the measurement time. How would you respond to that? The errors being random, the errors for the various devices are specified by the manufacturer and that takes into account the various sorts of errors for each device that could could occur. And usually it's specified over, over a range, plus or minus a certain error range for that device and that should cover all the errors that you might run into. And it's possible you could have an application where you're running a test and, and it could perform much better for that particular test, but then you can go on, come in the next day and, and it could be performing significantly worse. So there are two different types of errors. One is a random error and one is a systematic error. So the systematic errors are more or less taken out of the equation by virtue of the way the software and the way the calibration methodology works. So there will be systematic errors which are zeroed out and removed from any of the calculations. However, the random errors can't be because they are what the name suggests, and that is that they are random. And the errors that we are talking about in the system are, in fact, random errors. They can be expressed in different ways. People, manufacturers call them tolerances, which is a, a proper scientific way of looking at them because it's a method of explaining them statistically. And also because of the way that is explained, you can statistically explain what the total random error of uh, the system is. The, the question or whoever had asked the question had suggested that expanding the length of time will minimise the errors. Now, uh, actually, what happens there is the errors start to accumulate over time and having more time actually to divide by brings you back to the same issue in terms of uh, the same random error. So increasing the time won't help in this situation. However, I do understand what the person who had asked the question was trying to get at there. Uh, however, that doesn't happen here. The, the random error still exists. One of the issues that will happen over time, however, is the uh, amount of potential humidity that comes into the sample will increase thereby corrupting the sample even further, giving you artificially higher VO2s and also causing problems for, for the sensors and the drying systems. So time actually isn't in your favour if, uh, if that's the strategy. Great. Thank you so much. And one, one more question here. What is the current AEI recommendation on the exchange of naphium tubing? So maybe you might be able to best address that one. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been a tough issue to try to solve. 
we've you know reached out to the manufacturer a number of times and their recommendation basically is that it doesn't have to be replaced however we we found that in reality it does and and i'd say even replacing it every year might not be enough and it depends on the application of course and how much it's used and the environment that it's in but you might want to look at even every six months or even sooner if necessary. If you start seeing errors that sometimes you can't explain, but they could very likely be humidity errors, especially you should observe ambient air. And if the ambient air of your lab seems to be changing significantly, that could be an indication that, that your drying system isn't working correctly. And you might want to look at changing out the the uh, the part of the drying system, the nafan tubing or desiccant, at that time, even if it's before the manufacturer recommends, because there's probably some reason why why the ambient air isn't measuring what you typically would get in your lab. Okay, Danny, do you have the same recommendation? Yeah, so I just said the following: the people who I have worked with. Uh, and, and by the way, thanks for the question. It's actually a really good question and is an indication of somebody who is actually on top of uh, what they're doing. The, the Nafion tubing is in fact an issue. The uh, recommendation that I have uh, been making to, to people is to replace the Nafion at least twice a year. However, there's an, uh, an additional problem. That is some people will test more than one person at a time. In fact, up to about 10 people at a time. Now, if you look at the scientific papers on the Nafion, you'll see that its effectiveness goes down to about 50% through about 30 odd minutes, 25, 30 minutes, and to about 10% after about 45 minutes or more. So for that reason, some of the systems have a recovery time. Some of the systems, some of the users replace the Nafion in between tests or in between a number of tests. And so I think that's that's right and proper because the humidity in the sample will, will, as I said, corrupt. And it's probably the biggest enemy of the metabolic cart system. And also one of the things that very few of the metabolic calibrators actually take into account. There is one I can think of that does take it into account, but I think it's the, the only one there. So it's a very good question. And I think that's the best answer uh, that I can give. One more thing I could say on the topic, if I can interject again, is that in the MOXIS system, we perform all measurements through the same drying path. So the sample air, the ambient air measurements and the calibration gas all travel through the same drying system. So if the drying system does change, you can more or less correct for it by recalibrating. So when you recalibrate between tests, that kind of corrects for, for some of the errors. So you can minimize it also by recalibrating the system as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.